Hello, welcome to Gunfighter Cast, episode number 149, where we're going to talk about stoppages with a carbine and particularly identifying and clearing. So this episode, we're going to talk about how to identify those stoppages and how to clear those stoppages. I'm going to talk you through them kind of like we did in the last episode. So identifying and clearing stoppages. I still got Andy Padilla here with me, the director of training at Thunderbird Farms Academy. Hey, Andy. How's it going? Just going to talk about some stoppages, all right? Uh, stoppages, It's I, I focus a lot on them because in my training classes because um, it's it's not just the skill of learning how to clear the particular stoppage that's important. It's people begin to understand their guns at a much higher level when they're encountering stoppages, especially when they didn't set them up properly. Even sometimes the act of setting them up lets them understand how things occur and how their gun actually functions and how it works. So uh, I, I'm a big believer in in adding in stoppage clearances in classes. Um, I, I have actually a new class that I haven't taught yet. I, I've taught it, but not really in the format that, that I've put it in. But it's kind of a, a one-day carbine problem solver course where it's like you get broke off and you leave with your fingers purple and bloody at the end of the day. Because uh, all we're doing is, is solving problems. Uh, I Just making you think with a rifle in your hands. And uh, uh, a lot of fun, busy class. And a, a lot of the, the stoppage isn't the thing that I'm trying to get them to be really good at. It's just one of the tools that I'm using to get them to think and solve problems and work through really complex issues uh, with a rifle and uh, creating stoppages for them is just one of the things that that comes into play there. Uh, So I'm a big believer in being good at, one, getting first shots on target, presenting our gun to the target. Uh, We do that 30 times or so with our rifle. Eventually, we need to reload the gun. Uh, You shoot enough times, you're going to encounter some kind of problem with your gun. When we're not just shooting on the range, but we're actually fighting and we're around cover, we're next to the ground, we're in thick vegetation, whatever you may find yourself in, um, we start seeing stoppages increase when we're fighting around cover more because of awkward shooting positions, because of uh, slings covering ejection ports, hands covering ejection ports. Um, I had a guy uh, two weeks ago in class that I I was going to call stoppages for him, using a tool that I, I use to call stoppages, me and a few instructors do. Um, and he kept covering his ejection port with his hand, using cover, shooting at 150 yards, uh, moving cover to cover. And he never would have done this standing on a flat range. But whenever we were in a pretty pretty high-stress drill that we were doing as individuals at the end of class, uh, he, he caused three stoppages for himself because his hand was over his ejection port um, while he was supporting his position by holding on top of his scope. Um, it just kept hitting his, his wrist or hand area right there. Uh, so we, I see stoppages increase uh, drastically when we get around using cover and in high-stress situations. Uh, and anytime you have to actually fight with your gun, it's going to be a high-stress situation. So I'm a firm believer in being able to clear stoppages um, and understanding our gun at a high level. And that's what we're going to attempt to do here in this episode of Gunfighter Cast is help you understand those stoppages and how to clear them and understand your gun uh, a little bit better. And we're going to get right into it, the types of stoppages and how to identify them right when we get back from this. Bravo Concealment Holsters is a high-quality holster manufacturer based out of Texas. The customer service at Bravo Concealment is unmatched. And when you buy from Bravo Concealment, you get a 30-day money-back guarantee and an unlimited lifetime warranty. Visit bravoconcealment.com and use the code GUNFIGHTER at checkout for 10% off your next holster. All right, types of stoppages. We covered this in the last episode with a handgun. They're not different with a rifle. I just add in one more with a rifle. So we're out of ammunition. I shoot the gun enough times, I run out of bullets. If my gun's operating the way it's supposed to, my bolt locks to the rear. 
When that happens, I conduct my action for clearing uh, that out of ammo problem. Um, reloading the gun. Uh, if I'm out of ammo, I, I, I said the indicator is my bolt lock to the rear. We can't always fill that bolt lock to the rear. I, I, could, I see myself in video that we film. I pull the trigger sometimes once, sometimes twice. I've seen myself pull the trigger three times when my bolt locks to the rear. Now, I know that if the gun didn't work the first time, it's not going to work the third time. But I'm still seeing myself press this trigger because maybe I'm in the act of whatever I'm doing. I'm continuing the cadence of fire that I was doing. And then eventually my brain processed that, hey, this gun's not working. It's not doing that bang thing it's supposed to do. Um, but I never actually felt or at least wasn't able to process that different recoil feel of that bolt locking to the rear. So I don't depend on the bolt locking to the rear or that feeling or that sound or anything else that tells me my gun's empty. If I'm shooting a slow fire one round every couple of seconds or something like that, I'm probably going to know. But I, I may not know instantly or process it instantly um, under stress or shooting very, very rapidly. What I go back to is the same thing we talked about in the, uh, the handgun stoppages, is the fill of the trigger is my first line of observation. If I have a mushy trigger with a rifle, with depending on your trigger, everybody's triggers, some people have different aftermarket triggers that feel a little bit different. Some of them have dead triggers. Uh, a lot of them have mushy triggers when the bolt is to the rear. So if I have a mushy trigger and... I, I feel that I know that I have one of a few stoppages. I do not have a failure to fire. A failure to fire is going to be a standard click of the hammer falling and hitting the firing pin. If I have a stovepipe, the bolt is forward enough on that spent cartridge that's trying to be ejected, and it's forward enough that I get a click, but it's not a normal standard click. It's an awkward click. It's the sound the hammer makes as it's striking the bottom of the bolt carrier not the hammer striking the firing pin. It doesn't get a full extension of the hammer. It doesn't get all that power. It is a very different click uh, when we have a stovepipe than the click that we get of the hammer striking the firing pin. So I, I refer to it as an awkward click. Awkward click tells me I most likely have a stovepipe. Standard click tells me I should tap, rack, and get back on the gun. So that's our failure to fire. And again, we're, we're tap racking you know, for the same reason we did with the handgun we'll cover shortly. But out of ammo, bolt locks to the rear, mushy trigger, if light conditions allow, or if I know that I've just fired 30 rounds, not because I can count, because I, I, I usually can't count even in competition or anything that I'm doing, much less under the stress of, of fighting. Uh, I have no idea. And every, every time I use my rifle uh, on deployments, uh, I always remember thinking I had a stoppage when I felt a mushy trigger. When when my bolt was locked to the rear and I was having ammunition, I thought there, the first thing I thought was there's no way I just fired 29 rounds or 30 mm -hmm. rounds. There's no way. You, you're nodding your head, Andy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I thought instantly, oh, I got a stoppage? What's wrong with my gun? Um, I, it, it didn't, the, the, it wasn't, the first thing that I didn't think was that I was at, I mean, I thought there's got to be something wrong with my gun. I'm going to have to clear a double feed right now. And I wasn't happy. But it turns out every single time, never encountered a single stoppage. Uh, it was always running out of ammunition. But I, I, it ran out of ammunition so much faster than I expected. It was a surprise to me that I had actually depleted my magazine. Um, so I, I, I don't count on this whole counting rounds thing myself. Uh, fill the mushy trigger. Uh, if like conditions allow, I'm observing that I do not have a double feed. I do not have any other stoppage. My gun is, in fact, empty, so I'm going to drop that magazine uh, and reload the gun. That's my out of ammo. We'll talk about it shortly. Uh, fire to fire, I get that standard click, that, that hammer falling on the firing pin, the thing we hear all the time, that, that click when we expect a bank. It's always bad when you get a, a bang and you expect a click, and it's bad when you get a click and you expect a bang or need a bang. 
Um, double feed. Double feed the bolts back far enough that we're going to experience a mushy trigger with most of our guns, depending on your gun and your, your, your trigger. When I experience that mushy trigger and I see that I have rounds stuck in the chamber, or if it's low light conditions and I have a mushy trigger, uh, I, I may begin to reload the gun. And when if I start racking and I feel that my, sl- my bolt is not going all the way forward, I know I need to get the obstruction out of the chamber uh, because my rounds are stuck there. We'll, we'll talk more about clearing these things later on, but we're talking about identifying right now. And uh, in most cases, light conditions will allow us to do that so I can apply the exact corrective action, not two steps to figure out the exact corrective action, but actually getting the information I need to uh, determine the corrective action and then apply that corrective action. So speeding up my stoppage clearances. Next, we have the stovepipe. Uh, stovepipe, that awkward click I talked about. Hammer striking the bottom of the bolt carrier, not going all the way to full extension and striking the firing pin. Going to be a strange, awkward click that you may or may not identify as it happens. But in any case, uh, I, I should see that brass very easily standing out, sticking out of that gun right there for that stovepipe. Um, brass above bolt. So... Uh, a brass of a bolt, bolt override. There's also a charging handle impingement that's very that's very similar that some people call a little bit different things and use different terminology for it. I call it brass of a bolt. In the Marine Corps, we used to call it God hates you, where my brass is above the bolt. So uh, Marines making things as simple as possible for us morons, uh, we, we like to call it brass of a bolt. Hey, there's brass of a bolt. Here's my corrective action for that. How I identify that is um, when I, I get, a, a in most cases, a mushy trigger, sometimes it's forward enough for an awkward click like the stovepipe. And if that happens and I, I attempt to clear the stovepipe or whatever I'm doing, I'm trying to rack that slide, that charging handle to the rear, the charging handle does not move. Uh, the charging handle doesn't move. If I have a charging handle impingement, which is a little bit different, uh, the charging handle may move freely, but there's still a round stuck up in the chamber, uh, and the bolt doesn't allow the bolt to go all the way forward, um, but the charging handle may move back easily for the uh, charging handle impingement. The brass above bolt, generally that bolt carrier is just stuck, and you cannot pull that charging handle back without using a lot of strength or some different techniques to get that bolt carrier back to the rear. Um, and you'll see the, the cartridge. Generally, when I have, if I'm looking at in through the ejection port from the right-hand side of the firearm and I'm looking at the bolt carrier and the bolt, I will see just behind the neck of the cartridge pressing against the bolt itself with the back end of the cartridge pressing against the charging handle and the front of the projectile angling, angling down toward the chamber just below the charging handle and just beginning to cover the front of the bolt face. Um, and that's what we'll see with the uh, brass above bolt. A lot of friction between the back of that cartridge pressing against the charging handle and the front area of the cartridge pressing against the bolt carrier, which is what makes that not be able to move back to the rear. It's really, really tight in there. And those are our, our different stoppages with the carbine that, that we run into uh, the most or the most common stoppages um, that we see. And uh, we're going to take a little quick break, and I'm going to come right back and talk about clearing those stoppages, solving those problems, and getting the gun back going again. Be right back. If you're in the market for the absolute best 1911 handguns and accessories, look no further than Nighthawk Custom. Nighthawk has over 36 flavors of top quality custom 1911s and they definitely have one for you. These are custom handmade 1911s. Each gun is made from start to finish by a single gunsmith. Nighthawk's slogan and philosophy is one gun, one gunsmith. Now owning the world's finest 1911 has never been easier. 
go to www.nighthawkcustom.com and finance your Nighthawk Custom 1911 today. All right, welcome back. So, uh, first one we talked about was conducting that speed reload. Um, I need to reload my gun. I ran out of ammunition, my bolt locked to the rear, and I'm out of bullets. So, the next step I need to do is I've determined that my gun is out of ammunition. I need to extend my index finger and press the magazine release and drop that magazine out of the gun. Preferably, I press that button in a position where gravity is going to help that magazine fall free. If the magazine doesn't fall free, we'll cover that in a second. So if I press that magazine release and the magazine falls free like it's supposed to, my non-firing hand is already going to find my next magazine. It's already in route trying to find that next one wherever it is on my body, however I'm carrying, whatever kit I'm wearing. New magazine comes out of the gun or out of the magazine pouch. I place it into the magazine well. I personally like to cant the gun sideways slightly if I'm going with the in the shoulder reload. Now, when I say going with the in the shoulder reload, I find that I am faster at reloading my rifle when I leave the buttstock in the shoulder, bolt lock, magazine release, cant the magazine well in toward my chest area uh, or inboard for you to understand naval terminology, uh, bring that next magazine out observe the initial seating of that magazine, getting it just in the, the, that magazine, just barely into that magazine well, making sure I get it right in there. We're not reloading handguns now. Reloading handguns, we're putting a a rectangle object in the palm of our our firing hand. With a rifle, it's forward. Uh, It takes a bit more dexterity, but it's also bigger and kind of an easier target to hit with a rifle. So it's kind of a give and take there. So I observe that that fraction of a second that I'm, I'm getting the tip of that magazine stuck in there. Again, I'm exerb- observing that because I don't want to miss. I don't want to bounce. I don't want to bobble around on that magazine well. I want it to go straight in. You know when you get that really good reload where it's just like, just perfect. Like like it doesn't even it's not, it doesn't even touch net. Like it's nothing but that, like it doesn't even touch the walls of the magazine well. It just goes straight into you get that click. That's that's what we like when we reload the the rifles uh, if we can get that. So uh, I'm also uh, often when we, we pull, I, I've seen it many times in classes. I've done it myself, seen it many times where I, I bring a magazine out and I had a round sticking out out of the top. I need to get that thing out of the way or sticking out forward. And I need to reload my AR like I reload my AK to get that round to fit in the magazine well because the round sticking protruding out of the front of the magazine. So these are things that I'm getting to I'm able to identify because I'm observing that initial starting of the uh, magazine getting stuck, getting in the magazine well. Once that magazine's seated in there, my next step is, is getting my bolt forward. Now I'm going to cover the my Daniel Shaw's least preferred method for sending the bolt forward. And you can take it or leave it. I see more stoppages on ranges from people sending bolts forward by using their charging handle than any other shooter-induced stoppage that exists. And he's over here nodding his head. Without a doubt. It's where we're standing up straight and life is good. Everything's easy. No big deal. I pull my charging handle back and I let it go and send it home on its own power and everything's great, blah, blah, blah. Uh, 100% spring tension, good stuff. When we start doing that same technique in awkward shooting positions and my sling is in the way, my sling is where the charging handle is going to ride forward to go into a seated position. Um, I, I'm sideways. I'm on my left side. I don't have a lot of strength. I can't even hardly move my arm because I'm on my left shoulder, kind of almost upside down, shooting underneath the vehicle or whatever. Whatever. Um, it, I, I see problems constantly with it. Uh, I am a. I, I am. There's very few techniques that are common out there that I completely disagree with. Sending the bolt forward on a reload using the charging handle is one of those. It's one of those that I I believe should not be a tool in our toolbox. 
I, I, I see the, the problems it causes is, is far greater than the problems it could potentially alleviate. Uh, so I am not a fan at all of using the charging handle to send a bolt forward on reloads when, we're, when I'm reloading the gun, getting the gun back in action. What I do like is hitting the thing that Eugene Stoner designed to use to send the bolt forward. And that is the thing he called the bolt catch release, right? So if, if I've got this button on the side of the gun, the little ping pong paddle thing, you press the bottom of it, it locks the bolt to the rear. You press the top of it, it sends the bolt forward. Now I'm not saying that trying to insult anybody's intelligence at all. Uh, I often see people come to classes that don't understand what that device does on the left-hand side of the gun, uh, or what they told us in the Marine Corps, the horsey side of the gun. When we're using Colts, the, the, the bolt catch releases on the horsey side, the side that the horse is on. Um, it's uh, that that little button there. It looks like a ping pong paddle. You press the bottom, pull the bolt to the rear, release the charging handle, and then you can release that button, and it'll uh, that locks it back. Press the top of it, the big portion that's kind of serrated, uh, so you get a better better pressure, better texture on it. Uh, that's the release that releases the bolt. It is a bolt catch and release, and pressing that will send your bolt forward with that spring tension that you need to get that next round of the chamber after that reload. So I, I press that bolt release. And how I press that is, is the one that's debated the most. There's a lot of folks that will explain, and I've seen it all over the internet, that there's no possible way that I can press this, mag- this bolt release with my, my thumb. Like, I just can't hit it with my thumb. And I, I use the same argument that I do with the handgun. Somehow, I was able to press this trigger 30 times, you know, with a high level of precision, uh, while holding a dot or sights aligned on something. Um, and then I was able to flick my safety off and on and all that good stuff. I was able to press my magazine release with my index finger. I was able to do all those things, but for some reason, I just can't press that big button that's almost the size of my thumb with my thumb. I, I, don't, I don't buy that either. But I, I do buy the idea that I don't want my thumb just traveling to this bolt catch or bolt release all by itself. I want a reference point. And that's part of what we're going to do is try to establish a reference point. And I, I use my thumb to send my bolt forward sometimes. I use the heel of my hand to send my bolt forward sometimes. I don't use my charging handle to send my bolt forward. I think I already established that I hate that. So what I use for a reference point is, if you have a rifle in there, you make sure it's unloaded, place that magazine in the gun or your air magazine, pretend like you do, and as that magazine gets seated, continue to let your hand travel up to the handguard. If you had an old M16A2, it would be where your third knuckle of your index finger contacts the bottom slip ring of the gun, where the handguard meets the upper receiver, where that front detent pin is. That knuckle right there will be in contact with basically the center of that uh, where the handguard meets the, um, the the receiver and where the detent pin is. When that happens, extend your thumb out. You'll find that your thumb, for most humans, is very, very close, if not right on top of that bolt release. Stoner was an amazing guy. He, he figured that out, at least for his hand side. Maybe he designed it around that. I don't know. Uh, it may be a slight adjustment for some people, but it's going to be very close because I've got my reference point. That knuckle is in contact with the underside of that handguard right there at the receiver. And when I extend my thumb, it's in a position to press the bolt release. And then I just move my hand right back out to where I need to to fire. The next option that I, I, I use the most is I do the same action. Magazine is inserted. My hand continues to travel up the magazine, across the front of the magazine, up into that same position to where my knuckle is in contact with the underside of the handguard where it meets the receiver. And then I just close my hand like I'm trying to clap 
my heel of my hand against the receiver of the gun, and that heel of my hand is covering the bolt release, and it sends the bolt forward, and my hand is already in a position to fire, or I can press it out forward into a better firing position and fire right then. Very, very difficult for me to miss that bolt release using either one of these methods. I have seen Marines reload guns in combat with their thumb pressing the bolt release, and they didn't miss it 10 times. Uh, they didn't die in combat. Lightning didn't strike them. Uh, it didn't happen. Uh, you can reload this gun. You can practice it. You can use it. Um, it, it. Sometimes it's a really, really good technique to use the thumb. Sometimes it's a good technique to use the heel of that hand. It depends on what position I'm in. The problem is a lot of folks make decisions on what techniques they like and what techniques they use when they're standing up in a standing position doing our lazy training on the range. And then when they get in another position, an awkward position, side prone, on their right shoulder, shooting underneath the vehicle, doing whatever it is they're doing, and they find that I can no longer collapse the hill of my hand on that, and and running my hand up the side and slapping it is slow, but the thumb is right there. It's right there, perfect. Um, so I, I'm a believer in training in, in many shooting positions, and and not just doing just standing all day long. But let's 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 try to understand the fundamentals and the basics and what we need to do, and then let's layer on some complexities, throw in some things that really suck, some awkward shooting positions, some things that we hate, and and some stress and some some cardio, and then find what works then, because what works then is more likely to work in that fight that you're in uh, and not just what works when we're standing there planking on the range.